It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The biggest breaking news stories and outspoken opinion. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley-Brewer. It's Tuesday the 9th of November. As well as listening, you can, of course, also watch the show live. Talk Radio is now on your TV. Download the Talk Radio TV app or go to talkradio.tv for details on how to watch. Coming up, Boris Johnson has refused to apologise following his botched attempt to block the suspension of Owen Paterson for breaking lobbying rules after he whipped MPs last week. Meanwhile, the chief executive of NHS England has been accused of giving misleading COVID statistics and it was revealed today that more than a 11,000 people died after catching COVID in hospital. And a caver has been rescued from the Brecon Beacons after being trapped for two long days. 6.33 is the time. This is Talk Radio. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Lots to talk about, as always. When am I not going to say that? I'd love to come on there and go, yeah, not much about. We'll just uh, play some music. I don't think we're allowed to play music on Ofcom Rules, but we could we could try it and all have a nice calming break. But no, still lots to talk about. And the politics has got a, well, a very sort of a, very heated, shall we say, all related, of course, to issues of sleaze and accusations that uh, there has been much wrongdoing that really has not been tackled uh, by uh, the, the government and indeed by standards commissioners and the like. Well, the big sleaze debate happened yesterday and the prime minister has well decided not to attend. Uh, it was at short notice. He was at a hospital visit uh, on the other side of the country. And although he was able to get a private jet back from COP for dinner at the Garrick at a men's only club uh, to have to with a friend that private jet apparently was not available uh, to take him to that debate but he had repeatedly during uh, interviews with the media refused to apologize uh, for that botched bid to try and save uh, his mate Owen Patterson uh, last week as it was though Steve Barclay the government minister charged with uh, taking leading that debate uh, he did apologize Keir Starmer was put in the boot in as were pretty much all the uh, opposition MPs and not a few uh, Tory MPs as well uh, even a former whip Mark Harper, we've spoken too many times on this show, said it would be appropriate for the Prime Minister to apologise, uh, having been the man uh, behind that decision to uh, have that vote last week, uh, which was attempting, well, did it actually succeed, although the government has said they backtracked uh, on uh, basically abolishing that whole standard system uh, and saving Owen Patterson, as it was, of course, Owen Patterson, the former Cabinet Minister, resigned as an MP. Well, all of that uh, is uh, still weighing heavily on uh, an awful lot of the front pages. Uh, we'll be talking about that and plenty more besides throughout the show with uh, my guest who's joining me all the way through, editor of Spiked Online, Tom Slater. Good morning to you, Tom. 
Morning, Julia. Um, there are lots of other stories to get to, but um, in terms of this uh, this day of sleaze debate uh, in the House of Commons yesterday, um, there's some pretty um, fruity speeches. Indeed, the Speaker got involved at one point to sort of quite early on to tell MPs, you know, to try and sort of show some decorum rather than just sort of abusing each other, uh, particularly abusing the Prime Minister. Um, do you think it's important that the Prime Minister wasn't at the debate and that he has refused to apologise? Do you think that matters to most voters? I'm not sure if it does just because the the scale of the mess up is so significant even without that, you know. I mean, the incompetence, aside from anything else, of marching Tory MPs into the division lobbies for this very controversial, to put it lightly, a measure to basically save Owen Patterson's skin and then try to overhaul the um, standards procedures as a result of that. They didn't even seem to be aware that uh, a significant proportion of Tory MPs wouldn't back this, that Labour and the Lib Dems would not engage whatsoever in this new committee they were trying to set up to overhaul the standards. Uh, So, you know, the lack of apology from Boris Johnson is probably the icing on the cake. Um, But in a sense, the the hole he's dug himself is is sufficient enough to damage at this point. I don't think there's there's much he could do, really, to save face right now. Um, no, indeed. I mean, there's lots of front page stories uh, about uh, how much an awful lot of MPs earn. A lot of people talking online about, you know, oh, well, you know, Keir Starmer earns money doing this. Uh, uh, Lim Dem leader Ed Davey earns £78,000, says, in a second job. Geoffrey Cox is on the front page uh, of the Daily Mail. Top MP earns fortune for working in a tax haven. This is Geoffrey uh, Cox. He's a former Attorney General, of course, very much involved in all the Brexit uh, wars. Uh, he's a QC. I mean, he is top, top, top notch. Uh, and um, he he basically had a million pounds. Yes, really, a million pounds while still working as an MP uh, when he was advising the government of the British Virgin Islands, a tax haven accused of corruption. And indeed, he was able to vote by proxy during lockdown uh, as he was working 4,000 miles away on that lucrative contract. Now, I mean, nice work if you can get it. It's a very talented man. Um, I personally am of the view that we, the government, when we said he was an attorney general, we rather benefited from the fact of having someone of that top-notch calibre working in government. I like to have those sort of brains in the House of Commons. Um, can you be an MP and do a second job on the other side of the world? I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's so many different kind of shades of grey here. Because if you talk about second jobs in general, there's a lot of things that people wouldn't object to, you know, if someone's a vet or a referee or all the different types of jobs that people hold in Parliament at the moment as well. Then you've got this whole other category, which is it's got nothing to do with politics. They're not being paid to influence government, but they are, like Geoffrey Cox, making a large amount of money outside of their job as an MP. Is that going to distract them? Then you've got this whole much more murky area, which is kind of around the Owen Patterson issue, which is around lobbying, which is around using their profile as an MP to try and influence here or there and all the rest of it. I think the difficulty is is that there's no necessarily bright lines between these things. I tend to think the best way to do this is just to make MPs as accountable to their constituents as possible, make it easier for them to recall MPs, and let the people decide where they want these lines to be drawn. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, what about about an MP? I mean, we had um, some Labour MPs being praised throughout um, the the, the whole COVID pandemic because they were working uh, in in A&E and working on COVID wards. I mean, what fantastic, amazing work. Um, uh, And, you know, you just think, well, okay, but if you're able to be a doctor 
I mean, <laughs> I was the daughter of a doctor. It's a fairly full-time job, but it certainly used to be. Um, so the idea that you can do both two very, very important jobs like that at the same time is a little bit, you could say, questionable. Um, we've got MPs who are, you know, lawyers like Geoffrey Cox. We've also got a small point, um, you know, about 100 MPs who work as uh, working government. I mean, if you're in the cabinet, that is a second job. That is basically your full-time job working in, cab in cabinet or in any ministerial job. And then you do almost the MP constituency work uh, as a, as a sideline, in which case you kind of the way our government works accepts that an MP can have a second job. As, and I, I suppose for me, it's the issue is, as you say, it should be up to voters. If voters in Geoffrey Cox's constituency think that he's not doing a good job as an MP because he's off in the Caribbean or whatever, then then they shouldn't vote for him. I mean, that that's that should be how it's decided, surely, as long as as long as you're not specifically doing things against rules, such as lobbying on behalf of a company which is paying you and using your influence as an MP. And that is, of course, exactly what Owen Patterson did do and was found guilty of doing. I think that is the bottom line. And it's also just, it's worth bearing in mind that what we're going to do set up a new complaints procedure, another a new standards commissioner, another layer of this kind of thing. You basically, if you have, there's a danger that you just create another kind of layer of bureaucracy or a kind of another legal layer to police democratic life. And really it should just be down to the voters. So just anything that we can do to make it easier for people to make their feelings felt to their MP if they yeah. feel like they've got conflicted uh, loyalties, too yeah. much time being taken up outside of Parliament. Let the people make that judgment rather than just empowering this other layer of technocrats. Yeah, uh, there, there, there is that. And again, we we all know it's 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 the sniff test, isn't it? We all know when we think someone's done something wrong or not. I mean, you know, the voters will ha have a funny way of making a decision themselves, whether they think uh, something has been done that's right or wrong. And again, again and again, we're told, oh, X didn't break the rules. You know, Dom, you know, Dom Cummings, when he was an advisor, the prime minister didn't break the rules driving to Barnard Castle and, and, and the prime minister didn't break the rules when it came to the wallpaper. Well, you know, we'll be the judge of that, I think, is what most voters have to say. Um, let's talk about the NHS. Two big NHS stories, aside from sort of the push for booster jabs and some concern that actually an awful lot of people who are vulnerable um, are not going to be getting their booster jab before Christmas Day. But um, the front page of the Telegraph today, um, more than 11,600 people. Uh, they, it is now known, um, this is not them guessing, it's now known, caught COVID in hospital during the pandemic and died as a result of catching COVID in hospital. Um, and this is according to uh, new hospital data that says they probably or definitely caught it during their stay and subsequently died. This is because, of course, people were tested uh, before, before they went into hospital and would have been tested regularly while in hospital. And then, you know, a week later, test positive for COVID. They couldn't have caught it anywhere else uh, than in hospital. There has been a huge issue over the two places where the most vulnerable people are, people in hospital, and people in care homes, um, and that basically the, the virus was seeded in both places. Closing down of nightclubs and restaurants and bars and telling people to work from home for, for healthy, often very young people at very low risk from COVID, while the most vulnerable and elderly people were basically sitting in buildings which were just completely rampant with COVID. I mean, it makes a mockery of this policy, doesn't it? It does, and it's been it's all it's been an open secret. This has been a huge problem throughout the pandemic. It's something that obviously the health service and ministers have never really wanted to own up to the nosocomial in the jargon aspect of this in relation to hospitals and, and care homes and all the rest of it. And you just wish that again, kind of more uh, just resources and time was put into targeting these key 
problems, these key areas, looking at things like fever hospitals, which you saw, it's probably one of the, the better things that China did outside of all of the terrifying authoritarianism that went there, just keeping COVID patients separate so that you don't have people who just go into hospital and catch it, as they do every year with all kinds of different infections, which can unfortunately lead but didn't, to... But didn't this used to be death. the norm in the NHS, that you would, yeah, you'd have these separate fever hospitals? No, not as far as I know. Um, I, this is, but I suppose this is just, it reminds us that that's a kind of ongoing problem, isn't it, yeah. in relation to other kinds of um, infections each year. But again, it's just something that there's been not much willingness to talk about and therefore not tackled. Well, but you can't, no, but you can't talk about it. If you're busy clapping for the NHS and you're busy saying, isn't everyone working in the NHS wonderful and we've got the best healthcare in the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, all these things which are patently, provably, statistically untrue, um, then, then, um, then you can't be then saying, oh, well, actually, you know, so, you know, a huge number of people caught it as a result. I mean, you know, people in care homes largely caught it because people it was seeded in care homes from people being discharged from the NHS into care homes with COVID, and and likewise, um, uh, you know, with, with these yeah, eleven thousand six hundred people catching it in hospital. I mean, you know, you, you, if, if, if you say these things, then somehow you're NHS bashing and wanting to undermine it and then no doubt privatise it and send it to the Americans. That seems to be how it works on social media. That's the logic of the argument, as opposed to there is something going horribly wrong with infection control in our hospitals. And it's not just with COVID, it's with a huge number of other diseases as well. Well, this is the problem, is if you turn the health service into a secular religion, as many people have described it in this country, then to criticise it is blasphemy. That's a big problem when you're trying to not only just tackle a pandemic and try to make sure that people are as safe and protected as possible when they're accessing the health service, but in all the other areas that we know the NHS falls down, again, to criticise it is to be seen to wanting to sell it off or something. We've really got to get a grip on that given how much this pandemic has exposed yeah. shortcomings, is putting it lightly in relation yeah, to Yeah, exactly. Now, also, I mean, I must talk about Amanda Pritchard, the NHS uh, England chief executive, obviously started uh, the work this summer, but has been, you know, in the uh, ranks for many, many years. She did uh, a couple of interviews uh, at, at the weekend with the ITV and Sky News, where she said, you know, the NHS was under a lot of pressure. She said these words, there is no doubt that the NHS is running hot and there are some very real pressures on health and social care. We have had 14 times the number of people in hospital with COVID-19 than we saw this time last year. Now, I remember seeing this on Sunday and I was rather busy dealing with um, a bunch of children, uh, teenagers in my home for a birthday party. So they didn't really pay too much attention. I thought, well, that's not right. That can't be right. I, I wonder what the background to that claim is. And it's been totally exposed as, frankly, a blatant lie. I mean, you can call it misleading or, or, or misattributed or something, but it, it's it's simply untrue. Um, if it were the case that we'd had 14 times the number of people in hospital with COVID this, than this time last year, there would be 150,000 people in COVID in hospital with COVID right now. Um, and and as, it, as it is, there are only 7,000. Now, she would have known that that was untrue. It was later corrected and clar sorry, clarified that she was fer referring to figures comparing August to August. Now, it's November. September, you might get away with that, but it's November. She's either She either deliberately told a lie or she's utterly incompetent and is quoting figures that are four months old which do you think it is i almost hope it's the latter because the alternative is actually quite sinister is that you're basically just using misinformation to try and drive up vaccine uptake now we want more boosters in arms to protect the vulnerable yeah. and all the rest of it but at the same time this cannot be the means through which you do it the only alternative is that she seems to have just lifted these figures from somewhere else mm. uh, which again seems to 
completely ignore the fact that, as we know, the picture with COVID changes day to day, week to week, let alone month. I mean, I mean, if we're month, going, to, if millions of people in this country are permanently threatened, as we have been now for 19 months, with having our lives and our restricted, our, our businesses, our livelihoods, our family lives, everything taken away from us, our free, our fundamental democratic freedoms taken away from us because the NHS is under too much pressure and might be overwhelmed. I would have thought that the number one thing that the NHS chief executive should be able to keep on top of is how many people she's got in hospital being treated with COVID. And if she doesn't know that, I'm not sure she's up to the job. But we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. 6.47 is the time. Plenty more stories to talk about, including that incredible cave rescue from the Brecon Beacons. This is Talk Radio. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.